Some people have memorized it, I'm sure. Put your hand up if you memorized Colossians. Oh, it's disappointing. <laughs> well, um, this morning we're continuing our series through Colossians, and we're, this is the penultimate one. I think that's right, and uh, it'll be the last one next week. Um, and we've been thinking about community of changed lives. What does it look like to be the community of Jesus Christ, and and, and how will we change? What's the difference? And so our theme has been trust Christ and carry on, you know, got to do it, haven't you? A bit cheesy, but that's the basis. Trust Christ and carry on the community of changed lives. And that's not the right PowerPoint. (laughs) It's definitely Colossians chapter three. You might want to have a little look for that. Pardon? Yeah. There's an, in my bag as well, if you like. We don't want to be our number one. <laughs> Unless I didn't change it, but I think I did. Okay. So what I want us to think about this morning is, how do you know you're in a certain family? You know, like some families, you meet them and you instinctively know what family they belong to. I remember meeting this woman. I said immediately, oh, you're so-and-so's mum. There wasn't any doubt in my mind. They looked so similar. Their mannerisms were the same. How do they know that you, that your children are Goddard, for example? Oh yeah. How do they know they're an Ayrton? How do they know they're a Rose? What is your weirdy family characteristics? And <laughs> it's the same, isn't it, for Christians? How do people know that we are part of God's family? How do we know that we're followers of Jesus Christ when people are looking in? Paul has been uh, writing to the Colossian church. He's heard some amazing things that have got back to him about them. He's heard about their faith in Christ and their love for one another. The fact that they really love each other. And Jesus himself said, didn't he, that by your love for one another, people will know that you're my disciples. So straight away, these guys are demonstrating to Paul and others that they are followers of Jesus. Paul writes that his goal for them is that they would be united in Christ that they would persevere, they would keep going. He's sort of saying, you know, you guys are doing amazing, but don't give up, keep going. And that's why we've got this, keep Christ and carrying on. So this week, we're going to look at four different ways that Paul gives us an illustration. He says, you know, you guys are doing it brilliantly, If you're following Jesus, you're going to take off these things. You're going to put on these other characteristics. And I'm going to give you four different basic examples of how that works. So we're going to look first at example one is going to be the church community. And we're going to start reading in chapter 3 and verse 12. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Pardon? Is it the right PowerPoint but the wrong slide at the beginning? Uh, oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> we let him off. <laughs> My mistake, sorry. Right, let's read together. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So notice first, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. What's Paul referring to here? Well, as I was thinking about this, I thought, oh, well, it's a little bit like in the temple, the priests would clothe themselves in some seriously elaborate stuff. They would have this breastplate with different jewels on them that have some jewels on here and here that have this massive turban and a big circle on their head that said the Lord's. They clothed themselves to be priests. And Paul's using that same illustration for us that we would clothe ourselves, not physically, that we don't turn up to church, but rather Spiritually, we're clothing ourselves with the characteristic of Christ. And he's describing it like we're getting dressed. We're going to take off the old us and put on the new us. And the new us, what does it have in it? Well, let's look again at verse 12. It says, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Verse 13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other, in other translations, it says, make allowances for each other. Put up with each other might be another way of doing it. In your community, because he's writing to the whole community, the whole church, as if he's writing to us guys together. He's saying, make allowances for one another. Put on love above all that, it goes on to say. Make allowances. Bear with each other. Put up with each other. We're all really different, and we're all on a different journey, and some of us are really good at this thing, but other of us are not even noticing we're not very good at it yet. We've got to bear with one another as the community. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And verse 14 finally says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity or bonds them. Remember Jesus said, people will know by the love you have. Verse 15, let's read on. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And when we read that, we automatically think, oh, your hearts, oh, that must be mine. No, your hearts is plural, as in a whole community. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since you're members of one body and you were called to peace and be thankful. The interesting thing here is you can translate it as let Let the peace of Christ, the Holy Spirit, let him be the boss of your hearts. Let him be the boss. Let him, it says in the message translation, have the run of the house. Quite interesting, isn't it? Let him have the run of our house. Let the peace of Christ have the run of our community. And what would that look like if he was having the run of our community? Well, it would look like he's just said, wouldn't it? 
We would be kind towards each other. We would be compassionate towards each other. We would be humble with each other, not considering anyone better than another, but considering others better than ourselves. We'd be gentle with each other. Imagine that. We'd be patient. We need that, don't we? We'd be patient with each other. When that person has just said a really unkind thing and has no idea that they've even said it to you, we'll be patient with each other. We'll make allowances for one another. We'll bear with one another. And that is going to be an amazing community. This community of peace that's not completely the opposite of being at war with each other. If you think about a body that's at war with itself, it's like the immune system has gone a bit wrong, yeah? And we all know how bad that is. You just need to ask someone, I think with arthritis, is that what's happening? The immune system has gone a bit mad. And your body is at war with itself. It is painful. Really painful. And that's how it is in our community when we're at war and not at peace. It is painful for each other. How do we give Christ the peace, the run of the house? Well, verse 16, what does it say? Let's look together. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Well, let's look at it. Let the message of Christ dwell richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, this is not to say that there isn't a spiritual gift of teaching there definitely is. But we are all called to teach and admonish each other. We're all called to speak a word into each other's life, to come alongside each other and say, I want to encourage you with this verse today, just like Anna was encouraged by the verses that she was given. We're all called to come alongside the other person and say, can I help you with that? You seem to be struggling in this area. Can I pray with you? Can I read the Bible with you? We're all called to teach and admonish one another. With all wisdom through, what does it say? And this is the weird bit. This is what I had a discussion with someone about this week. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude. So you kind of get this weird picture of people. Sarah, how are you today? (laughs) It's not really going to work. We had a bit of a chat about this, though. And this idea, I think we can just simply put it down to psalms being the word of God. Hymns being like the creed, singing truths to each other saying, look, you know that God is good. You know that. You know that Jesus has saved you. And finally, the songs from the Spirit. I'd put that down to us worshipping together with songs that are written by inspired people who write our beautiful worship songs that we sing. And as we sing to each other, there is something special that happens. That's why John today chose... That, that old favorite, men of faith. I remember singing that spring harvest when I was about 12. <laughs> and, and it like divided the congregation, didn't they? And the women got going. <laughs> it was brilliant. But, um, 
the great thing was, I was chatting with Esther this week, and she said, well, maybe, Louise, it's because in singing, it uses a different part of your brain. I thought, oh, that's interesting. She said, when you're kind of using that side of your brain, there's like, I don't know which side it is, but someone will know. You've like got this side that's sort of intellectual and like reasons and stuff like that. And then you've got like this other side that's like all arty. And she said, when you're singing, there's something about using that part of your brain that really gets it into you in a way that actually words won't. That's why in sort of therapy sessions, they'll often use music therapy because it's penetrating you somewhere that words alone won't. So when we're singing together, when we're worshipping, when we're singing to each other about who God is, when we're standing here, we've not had a great week, but we're singing, Jesus, I just want to worship you. You are good. You are faithful. You are amazing. You are loving. You are kind. When we're doing that, there's something penetrating into our mind in a way that words alone won't. So I'm just going to offer that. You might disagree with me, but that's where we got to this week. And gratitude in your heart. There's something helpful about that, isn't there? When you want to whine about what someone else has done and how your life is so awful because of them, and you come with gratitude in your heart to the living God, the light is shining back on you. You're like, I am no one before you, Jesus. How dare I even look at someone else? something, isn't there? We know that. We come, we're all, and then we're there, and it's communion, or we're singing, or whatever it is, and suddenly, oh, my life. It's me, isn't it? I'm sorry, God. So it's sort of like an amazing picture. And then finally, 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you've got that picture there, haven't you? Whatever we're doing together, It keeps us humble. Remember, it's not about us. We didn't just get up and become nice people. We didn't just think, oh, today I'll be super patient, but rather the Spirit of God. It's thanks to Jesus that we are that changed community. So that's number one, church community. Okay, what else will it be? Husbands and wives. Let's read on. Okay, number 18 then. Same chapter. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, We're going to stop there. So, wives, submit. (laughs) Husbands, love. Well, we've arrived at the S word, which uh, we don't always like to sing. How do husbands and wives work in this new creation? With Jesus as Lord, what's it going to look like? Interestingly, when I speak with women from other cultures, what's the one topic they want to know? Well, I'll tell you. How do Christian men treat their wives? They really, really want to know this. And how do Christian women treat their husbands? It's very important and it's very powerful. The idea of submitting can fill women with absolute terror. Or, at the very least, a humorous chuckle of something completely outdated. 
When I was growing up, my mum, bless her, she told me marriage was a prison and it was a form of slavery. Now, we laugh, don't we? That took some working through. (laughs) But in old terms, you know, she wasn't that far from the truth. Her own dad would not even stir the sugar in his tea. Interesting, isn't it? And we might chuckle at that, but it wasn't very long ago that women in this country were the property of their fathers and they were given to another man. And in lots of countries around the world, that is still the case. Women are seen as possessions. They are inferior They're not worth educating. They may be considered childlike in their understanding. And in these traditions, they often do call their husband's master because he is. So let's not forget that. In Paul's culture that he's writing to, women would find themselves in that very same sort of situation. Not always, but in some situations, they're being bought and sold. I know it sounds horrible, it grates us, but women were definitely here, and men were here. Now, as we come to a passage of the Bible, we can see culture playing its part in there, okay? And Paul is writing to women saying, you can't change the culture overnight, but you can change how you view yourself in that culture. And husbands, you can't change the culture overnight, but you can change how you treat your wife overnight. Okay? Now, you might have been taught similar things in your lifetime or in church even. Women are weaker, inferior, maybe morally not as capable. They need to be covered by a man, so forth. And I'm not going to talk about that this morning. If you want to talk to me later, great. But it doesn't mean we're going to ignore this passage. Okay, We're not just going to chuck it out and say, oh, it's cultural, let's not do it. It's still really relevant. All Christians are told to submit to one another, to consider others better than themselves, to be servant-hearted, to serve one another as Christ served us. And if we broadened our reading of Scripture... And we went maybe into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says a similar thing. Christians should submit to one another in Christ. And underneath that, he writes specifically, women should submit to their husbands. And husbands should sacrifice themselves for their wives. I want us to think about those two words, submit and sacrifice. In both incidences... The other is laying them down, their own preferences for the other. The wife is submitting. She's putting herself under her husband. And her husband is sacrificing his preferences in favor of hers. It's not a dramatic crossroad incident where he will make the final decision. Or that he will throw himself in front of a burning bush or a car driving madly towards his wife. But rather this is a picture of the normal Christian life 
of laying down our rights for someone else. Christian marriage is a mini picture of the church and Christ. It's also a mini picture of Christ and the Father. It should never be a place of fighting to see who gets their own way. But actually, quite the opposite. The ultimate picture of Christians trying to put each other's needs first. It should be the ultimate picture of, no, you do the bins. No, you do the bins. No, I will do the bins. No, I will do the bins. No, I will do the bins. A bit like that. Or, no, I will carry your stuff. No, I will carry your stuff. No, I will carry stuff. It's that is the picture that we, the church, as husbands and wives, should be offering. We should be lifting each other up and honoring each other. We should be the biggest champion of our partner, calling forth their strengths and their gifts and releasing them and saying, yes, go for it. And he's saying, go for it. And she's going, go for it. You can do it. You should be absolutely champion each other, lifting each other up. In the Garden of Eden, man and woman made in the image of God together. And together they were given dominion over the earth. Not over each other. That happens after the fall. In the new creation, man and woman come back together to form one. Together, they are strong. And together, they get a strength to get dominion over things. That's why when they pray together, they're so powerful in that prayer. The wife is told to submit to her husband, to put his needs first. And the husband is told to love his wife, putting her needs first. What do we read? Love is patient. Love is kind. Oh, it sounds very similar to the list we just read a minute ago. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor. You're honoring each other. It's not self-seeking. Know your needs. The husband puts his wife first. And some people have said, you know, sometimes maybe this is a more of a sacrifice. I'm not sure if I believe this. But they're saying, you know, men could take it. They're physically stronger. Culturally, they might have the advantage. But Christian men don't follow culture. They don't use their strength in that sense. Strong Christian men, they lift up their wives. They honor their wives. They put their wives' needs first. And that is a sacrifice. It's not the way of Christ to be grabbing, but to be giving giving of yourself. The husband and wife restored again, reflect the image of God. And God himself loves to share things, to lift others up. In the Trinity, we see Jesus honoring the Father. He submits to the Father. He lifts up the Father. He wants the Father to be glorified. And in the same way, the Father puts everything under the Son's feet and says, no, I want my Son to be honored and glorified. And at the same time, the son's saying, no, I want the father to be honored and glorified. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? As they lift each other up, as they are one, they build each other up. And this should be the picture of our Christian marriages. 
that we submit and honour each other and lift each other up. Their success is our success. Their freedom is our freedom. Their joy is our joy. Okay. And lastly, Paul puts in this passage, don't be harsh with your wives. Don't boss her around or shout at her. And why does he put this in? Does he need to put this in for us? Well, not necessarily. But in a culture where that's reasonable, then he does need to put it in. And actually, maybe he does need to put it in for our culture. I was reading the other day that one in four women and one in six men in their lifetime will be subject to domestic abuse. And that could be violent, it could be verbal, could be financial, could be emotional. I'm not saying men aren't a, 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 men aren't a victim of this, because clearly they are. But when Paul writes this, he's saying, don't be harsh with your wives. But he's, can you see how we've just talked through that he speaks to the woman and the man? He's using different words, but they both mean the same. To honor each other. To not try to get your own way. So thirdly, and we'll finish in two minutes. I know, that was the big one. <laughs> Parents and children, let's read it together. Sorry, 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, this is again a power struggle. This is a situation where parents have a lot more authority and a lot more power than the child. It's a struggle again. And he's speaking to Christian kids saying, don't get into a fight with your parents just for the sake of getting into a fight with them. And the same to parents. Don't put in rules just to put in rules. Don't embitter them. Is that how Jesus treats us? No. Jesus doesn't bully us. He wants us to obey him because we love him. We want to serve him. Not because we're told, you will do this. How easy it is to use our authority and our power as parents and we end up being bullies. We just need to be careful. Just something to think about and you can discuss it more in your house groups. And finally, the last example he gives again is again a power struggle. In a culture where slavery is the norm, the slaves can't change the culture like that overnight. They've got to change how they are in that culture, how they view things. So what does Paul say? Let's read it together. 22, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and, and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry favor, curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human master. And 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Those who do wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Chapter 4, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Employees need to remember that they are serving God. It doesn't matter if your boss is a tyrant, your company is evil. You maybe can't change the culture overnight. If you can, great. But in it, the way to survive it is to remember that you're serving Jesus. And it's the same for employees as well. 
If you're employing someone or you lead someone, you do it by honoring them, not bossing them around because you can, but rather considering them equal to yourself and honoring them, listening to them and leading them well. So Paul gives four examples. You can look at them a bit more in house groups and you can talk a lot more about it. But that's where I'm going to stop today. Let's just pray together and then we'll finish for today. Lord Jesus, help us um, as we put on love this coming week. Help us to remember that comes from you and you alone, that you are the giver of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, change us this week. Enable us to be believers that live in submission and sacrifice towards one another, considering others better than ourselves. Jesus, help us to be that community that marriage, that family, that workplace, where you are Lord. Help us not to be known for petty cultural rules or outward appearances to do with lifestyle, but help us to be known for the love that we have for one another that comes from you, Jesus. Amen.